Okay, so we're back yeah. to cracks in postmodernity with Adam, also known as Wafers, who is pretty awesome, right? I would say so. so yeah, it's accurate statement. Moderately. So, um, how did we find Adam? We found Adam through Tradwave, which is a really crazy Instagram page, which is inspired by Vaporwave, but it's Trad crazy combination um but then he has his own stuff we're going to start talking about the after hours live what is that the after hour live is a um live show that we shoot on instagram in one take where the audience gets to go on and decide the path that we choose and then simultaneously we're shooting it with three DSLR cameras. So the end product is not a two hour long live stream that nobody wants to watch. And it's not a highlight reel. It's its own standalone 15 or so minute adult swim-esque uh, television series. So you people have to watch this because it's like a combination of everything, but uh, it will blow your mind like it did to mine. Um, but I think like the main thing is the whole like childhood nostalgia complex thing. Cause like you have these Nickelodeon clips, you have the Sockum boppers, the Nintendo stuff, all the old school video games. So like, what, what is this? What's the whole fixation with the childhood and the nostalgia and whatnot? Well, I mean, there's no better way to escape um but to escape as a child because you must be like a child to enter heaven mm -hmm. right <laughs> but you don't want to be a peter pan about it and stay there forever um but i think these little uh glimpses of childhood these things that uh you know give me pleasure thinking about them are escaping too and obviously the whole vaporwave nation clearly clings to these things um and every generation has their own it just says that like these are gems that you should keep hidden and use for yourself to have like a, you know, a moderately good escapist route. You just don't want to stay there forever. Um, so I'm indulging in these things at the moment uh, to escape from everything. But I know eh, you should just take a trip there and come right back. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's an hour the after hour, you know, not, not the whole damn night. Yeah. And it's the whole, like you start the show with, like mom and dad are asleep and we have to like hide so they don't catch us so like really embodies that whole vibe but tell us more about peter pan because i know that's one of the big inspirations but like also a risk because we don't want to be peter pan forever we don't want to be one of those millennials who never grow up no you don't want to be the girls in spring breakers that stay there too oh, no. too long <laughs> um but no, yeah, Peter Pan, I read it uh, right before I was going to college. Um, and it was the first book I ever read that, well, first of all, I didn't read a lot of books back then. And uh, um, when I got to the end, because the end is so devastating, like it's nothing like the Disney crap. Um, and when you get there, like, uh, dude, I was like crying and I literally threw the book across the room. I didn't want to finish it. I've never had that visceral like experience reading something. 
and I finished it like my when I was visiting my sister and like you know they're all like Adam dinner time we're all gonna eat so like I walked downstairs and you know it was like tears in my eyes and like what the fuck's wrong with you I'm just like you don't even know man uh yeah it's just it really taps into something capital T true um totally you know and it's just like the perfect escapist um novel but there's there's something in it that gives it some kind of visceral energy and i think what it is is there are like these hidden truths like there is like the marion symbol with wendy like there's a moment in the book where they finally build her a little house and they all literally get down on their knees after she opens up the doors and they're like wendy be our mother and she's got an arrow sticking out of her heart because mm. she gets shot by toodles and it's so marion it hurts like come on and she's the instrument to get them out of the mount not the mountain out of never neverland back into reality yeah she's their mediatrix it's perfect it's just it works so well um and when they're first there it's all great and dandy and they love it but then the longer they stay the more they forget which is very fascinating um and the more it's not as like good as it is like every time i reread that book it's been like eight times i realized damn it's not as good as when it first when you first get there every time it just stays longer and longer you know so yeah so before we go more into the whole escapism motif um let's talk about the whole peter pan complex because us millennial males we have a thing where like, it's very hard to grow up. It's very hard to be a man in this day and age. Why are we like this? I think it's just, we don't want to accept responsibility and we're prolonging everything because we're so comfortable. Yeah. We're so fuck comfortable. Very bourgeois. Yeah. And it's just like, yo, you gotta, because growing up, accepting responsibility means pain and suffering yes it's it's what you learn at the end of evangelion it's very clear as day you've gotta suffer a little bit and we don't want to suffer because we're all pussies yeah um, you know and the people that do you know finally get that are the ones that really move on and uh, they don't want to get you don't want to give up your weekends you don't want to give up um you know, your party lifestyle, everybody has so much FOMO, it hurts. They don't want to give these things up. Um, and they're scared that if they give it up, it's going to be the worst thing in the yeah. world, which I was like that for a long time. And I still am, but I, I know at least, you know, responsibility and, and having that, you know, I sound so much like Peterson, but I mean, it's true, you know? Yeah. Our Lord and Savior Peterson. The prophet. Um, the prophet. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is accurate because I I mean I blame it on our parents. I blame it on the air of the culture that we breathe, that like, yeah, this whole therapeutic ideal of like you do you, girl, and you be comfortable and you know, don't do things that aren't true to you. But like this is not reality, this is um an illusion. But yeah, I don't know, like thinking of my own experience, like that's how I was raised. And like when I had to confront things that were uncomfortable or that took me out of my comfort zone, I was always told like, oh, you don't have to do it. Just like try your best. And if it's too much, then it's okay. 
Um, and it wasn't until I had my first full-time job out of college that I was like, oh shit, this isn't how the world works. Like people don't think I'm special just because I show up and I'm me. Like people expect me to work. They expect me to try hard and like make sacrifices. This is ridiculous. I can't do that. So yeah, no, this is us though. But I think especially for men, it's harder because we're... Mm, this is when we get into dangerous territory because gender is like not a real thing um but yeah no like i think we're in because we're oriented towards sacrifice in a very like outward way like we are we are called to um we're called to build we're called to like construct that's in our nature and i think to go out and do that like it's a heavier sacrifice for us. And because the culture doesn't really give young men the tools to really um, to build on that impulse or to really develop it, it's harder for us than for women. Um, that's my observation. I feel like women, it's uh, a little bit easier in this culture for them to like go out and be, you know, uh, what do they call it? A bo- Not a boss girl. A girl boss, a girl boss. girl boss. Well, I mean, not even my observation, but two famous stories, two famous um, writers, Peter Pan, there is an explicit sentence in there that it's just lost boys. Yeah. And uh, Peter says that oh, girls are always too smart not to fall out of their prams. And that's how the boys get lost. Um, and then even taking it a real step further, you have Lord of the Flies. They're all boys. Like that's what's gonna happen when you have that, like this, this desire for this like weird structure and this weird responsibility. And then this like yeah. overdoing of it. And they all become Captain Hooks because they're all concerned about form, bad form, good form. And then that just overtakes them and you just go crazier and crazier. But I, I think just, my comment on that would be those two sources specifically. Yeah. And like women are inherently smarter. They're more moral for us to really be intelligent and moral and like live up to some righteous ideal. Like we need structure. We need to be taught. And that's not really given to us, at least not us privileged bourgeois millennial males in my experience at least. Yeah. I mean, like, I love my dad to death. He's the greatest. Um, but I think as somebody that taught me the most about like structure and it's not about, oh, participation, you did a good job, yeah. whatever. It was like when I did Taekwondo, like my Taekwondo yeah. instructor was definitely the most toughest person. I hated him for the longest time. And then I realized, oh shit, this guy's like teaching me a lot of things that I'm looking back on now. And I like, I appreciate Um Taekwondo. I did that because <laughs> you know why? I was at dinner and I spilled Diet Coke on my pants when I was like, what, six or seven years old. And then uh, my dad's like, oh, there's a Taekwondo place next door. I want to get you pants from there. So I put on <laughs> pants and he's like, hey, why don't you do Taekwondo? And I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to do that. And then he made me go. And then they're like shouting stuff at me in Korean and I'm supposed to repeat. And I'm like, what, what, are, what are they saying? 
And then they wanted me to break the board in half and I had to do it like 50 times to actually break it. And then I finally made it to the first testing where they give you the little yellow tape and I did it. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. I'm not going back there. And then my parents <laughs> were like, okay, you're done. You tried. So that's why I'm the way oh. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I went all the way. I'm a black belt. A lot of people think that's really crazy. A black so you could like murder someone. Well, you shall not misuse Taekwondo. You should be a champion I mean, of freedom and justice. In theory, but <laughs> mm-hmm. but what was crazy is I learned that I was a trad Taekwondo person. Like I found out that the school I went to is like not the mainstream one. They claim to be the traditional art i i have sine wave that's like oh. you know all just makes sense it all just makes sense like you know mm. middle school out what was going on that's such um like a recurring theme in a lot of these kids shows on nickelodeon and like whatever like the kid who gets bullied and he's weak and wimpy and then he goes to taekwondo and then he goes to the sensei and he's like, when do I start getting to beat up bullies? And then the sensei's like, no, this is self-defense. This isn't about violence. And then the bully comes and like starts making fun of him. And then he defends himself. And then the bully's like, oh, I respect you now. Like they always repeat this theme. Never gets oh, old. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It's, no. It's, it's a good story. It's corny though. You know, corny. A little well, bit. Yeah, you know, and then react. Oh, I'm not gonna go there. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, responsibility is very empowering, though. Like once you learn to get over it. But I don't know. For me, it's like there are moments where like I overcome the Peter Pan impulse and I like push myself out of the comfort zone. But it's never like oh, I've overcome it once and for all. Like it's a continuous thing, which can be exhausting. But like. I think ultimately you need support like you need people who are gonna encourage you to keep going because otherwise like I fold well yeah and it's I mean that's the end of the story he keeps coming back every spring cleaning like he's not gonna go away he keeps showing up and then it just so happens that he misses about like 20 years and then the next time he shows up thinking it's just the next year Wendy's an old hag um and that's like the horrifying part of it all the first time peter's ever scared is when she has to turn on the light yeah um, but yeah so it always keeps coming back to you and you can use it well as a as a hidden gem that you keep you ponder in your heart or you can let that be a corrupting addictive force it's one or the other yeah so yeah the forgetfulness thing that's um this is humanity though like we forget constantly because of maybe because of the fall ultimately but it's the problem of memory it always comes back to this because like when you think about the first memory i mean in theory is being born like your life is a gift it's the fruit of like a relationship this is who we are to be in relationship but then we're drawn to these like self-indulgent or like individualistic narratives because we forget who we actually are where we come from especially in like modernity post-modernity because this is like now the structure of our culture to be an individual cut off from roots and connections in general yeah 
but it's also like it overtly indulgently embraces memory by bringing up everything of your past no matter what you can't you know it, it doesn't yeah. on that sense but memory is like a two-edged sword though it's so oh, it's good and it's bad like do this in memory of me but then you have our lord forgetting the sin yeah after you confess and do penance um you know it's like dante one of the greatest parts about dante's purgatorio is when he goes up to the river of Lethe and he drinks the water and he forgets all the bad sin. But like one of the, one of the early problems I had when I was like trying getting my own little reconversion happening was like, there was so much things that I really enjoyed about some bad things or bad people or bad circumstances. And I'm like, Mike, is that whole thing going to be forgotten? Should I forget about that? Like what happens to that? Yeah. Um, memory's so bad. Ah, paradoxical strange thing yeah yeah big word crazy mm. so then what about escapism like what is it that um draws you to this uh this concept because it plays a big role in a lot of what you're doing well it's my biggest one of my biggest flaws mm -hmm. is i suffer from the modern millennial escapist life um I want to avoid responsibility and pain. So I just want to keep going back to that like perfect moment and replaying it over and over again. Like you want that perfect party to happen constantly every single weekend yeah. and it shouldn't be like that. Um, so, you know, that's, that's not natural, but we want it to be. And that's what makes us so insane and crazy. And when I heard a, a priest give a homily on the transfiguration, mm -hmm. He brought up like going up there, seeing the greatest thing ever that you can possibly imagine. And then all of a sudden it goes away. And then he, he ended his homily very like reverb style. They had to come down from the mountain. Yeah. And I thought about that so much. Like, wow. Like, do you think Peter and John, cause it was just the three. It was like Peter, John, James. You think like, in the middle of the night, like Peter had dreams about that, or he's like, John, I can't sleep. Like, I keep thinking about that. That was like amazing. Like, they can't just forget about that. Um, but they're not supposed to stay up there. Like, as much as it would have been cool to be like, hang with your boys, Elijah, Moses, and Jesus, like, you know, no, you got to come down and carry your cross because that is a glimpse of what it will yeah. fully be. So that whole that whole theology of the transfiguration really with this modern idea of like oh man like if i could just go back up on that mountain like taking that good experience of either at a party or like good stuff like of a retreat like that retreat high everybody gets they just want to go back to that you know all these are little transfigured moments and there's a reason why it like it's it's such a strange mystery because our lord didn't have to do that it wasn't really uh you know it's just a strange mystery there you could kind of like to to like a normal person that's never really read or know theology, you could take the transfiguration out nothing really changes to them. You mm -hmm. know, like it just points mm -hmm. to something. There's not really like a whole lot to the standard person, but then, you know, our Lord yeah. still decides to do that. Yeah, so the, for me, that's where I go with it. The party thing was always like, I feel like that was my first glimpse of this whole uh no my first glimpse of the whole escapist transfiguration complex was when i was younger 
um, and friends would come over and we would like we were nerds we didn't do anything crazy but like you know we would study and we would make like stupid movies together and whatever but I remember when it was time for them to go I was like oh no this can't happen like they can't leave because I caught a glimpse of happiness but I can't possess it forever like yeah. there has to be a moment when you come down and then eventually when I got to college it became parties because I mean especially when you go to a club it is a liturgical kind of experience um and that's when I was like this is the climax this is the ecstatic moment and I need to replicate it every weekend or even more than that because outside of this then like what is life without some ultimate climax but just to get like a little philosophical for a second um this is like the dionysian impulse this is dionysus who as we all know is on the cover of this podcast even though some people are scandalized and you'd think that the coloring could have been done better which we accept constructive <laughs> criticism but Dionysus is like chaos, the antithesis of Apollo, order, structure. And these two impulses, like we're caught between this tension, like we're always caught between either creating order or falling into chaos and ecstasy. Um, and I think what's important about the incarnation is that it's a synthesis of the two it kind of integrates those impulses without eliminating one or the other like you know the reformation attempted to do um and like one of my favorite things in charlie charles taylor in the secular age he talks about how in like the, these medieval cultures there were times built into the the calendar for anti-structure there are times where like you had carnival you had mardi gras um, you had the, you know, like the saint plays and the, the processions of the statues where like people step out of the normal structure of life and they get lit, they go crazy, whether it's on the Holy Spirit, whether it's on alcohol and drugs, um, people would like do things that they normally don't do, things that are sinful, that are bad, they would cross dress, they would do all kinds of perverse things but it was understood that like yeah this is not a the normal thing but because we're humans and we have these impulses there has to be a time where we like can be crazy but we know that this is like crazy we don't call it normal but then like with the reformation with modernity especially in america we don't recognize that tension like we've terrified everything to the point that now like we call what is perverse normal we want to make it bourgeois and like orderly but inherently it's not um so i don't know like that mystical or like debaucherous it could go in either direction that impulse is like always going to be there so escapism we need it but as escapism not as like we can't make it normal because it's not yeah yeah you can't um and, and that's the that's the question of like how much is the regular trip to the never neverland you can't have it every weekend it's crazy um because you then you're just gonna walk well i mean everything needs to be everything needs to be guided and yeah. have some kind of bars to it yeah because then you're just gonna want more and more and it's just pretty much like a pretty easy metaphor for addiction essentially um you get your gateway and as you know 
it can, you could just go down the long road um, further and further. But uh, yeah, the the I mean, it once again it mirrors the perfect uh, like the perfect three days is uh, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter. You have to have there's this total duality between like you've got the worst of the worst and the best of the best um you've got to have a good friday to have easter sunday um and i think that kind of plays a little bit on this balance in a mm -hmm. sense in a, in a way. Um, yeah. all those directed towards good but yeah you just gotta let off you know you gotta let off a little steam here and there um temperately and not as a statement of what this is you're just blowing off some steam and this is why they invented confession ultimately <laughs> true yeah mm. extent. yeah i'm like super drawn to the mystics like Teresa of avila because like because that was what she was her and then people like augustine like they were crazy first of all they were probably a little mentally ill or neurodivergent as we would say like definitely neurotic, maybe a little autistic, I don't know, but very sinful, very like self-indulgent because you know what Augustine was doing, but Teresa, what I like about her is that like she grew up with that tension of like, I want to be like the girl on the town who's always dressed up really fancy and wants to go to the parties to gossip and then i want to find a really hot guy and i want a perfect marriage story but then i also want to go get martyred by the moors so i'm going to sneak out of my house get my head chopped off um and i think the fact that like she wanted both as a kid whereas augustine he was like no party boy party boy gonna have sex with everyone get shwasted and then he's like, oh, shit, I got to go to God. Like, because she had that young, this is why she's so neurotic and crazy. And then this opens the door to the ecstasy that, like, hmm. she needed that, like, insanely intense experience of Jesus and in a very erotic, physical way. Because um, otherwise, like, what was she going to do with all those impulses? So like you can't have chastity, you can't have like asceticism without that ecstatic escapist impulse. Like you can't completely get rid of it. It has to be integrated, I guess I would say. And that's why like Catholicism is just so damn good when you get down to it because it gives you all those avenues. If that's something you need, it gives you all these feasts, all these cultural things going around that all have a basis a grounding that you need because if you don't have that ground you're just going to go nuts so but as a grounding for what it's doing and for what it's being it gives you this avenue of like if you want to go down that route like yeah go for it like this is what it's a feast it's a damn celebration like um but then you know next week is penance time like there's it it just gives it's not this blanket puritanical like all right this is it and this is what it's going to be forever like the whole year you've got so much happening in the church's calendar and the church's cultural leanings and theology and everything it's it's celebrating and articulating and it just it's it's for everybody so it gives everybody a chance to whatever their impulses are if you're more of augustine you're more of therese if you're more of a francis saint francis you know but like you know <laughs> who was i mean because at the end of the day man all the saints are freaks 
Yeah. And I mean that seriously. I had a spiritual director tell me that and it really woke me up because I was so, I, I saw the flowers of St. Francis talking about religious movies. That's one of the ones I love to death. Mm-hmm. And it painted St. Francis in such a way. And then like my spiritual director is like, yeah, you know, he's just a, like, he was a freak. He was the jester. That's what you want to be. That's what we all want to be, you know, crazy for God. Um, and he got so, lit before he, he you got lit. Oh yeah. So yeah, he wanted to be, he was, writing as a night off, you know? Um, and I, I think it also kind of goes, we're talking about this balance. I think there's also this like equilibrium, this like sine wave that yeah. you look at. Like the higher you climb one way, you're going to have to go the other way. Mm-hmm. And, and that works with the theology of like, you know, purgatory. Like the, the more stuff you're doing that's bad, that's junk, the more you're going to have, yes, confession, your sins are white, but the more you have to atone for that. Hey, so no. you want to equilibrate this balance. And if you don't do that here, you're going to have to atone for that in purgatory. Um, yeah, I got to step up those plenary indulgences. Yeah, you got to load yourself yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, that's something straight out of the church's teaching. You know, it's, it's your whole twin. It's, it's everything Twin Peaks right there, the equilibrium. But then this you know, leads to like our, what our projects have in common that like, for me i see a very strong connection between you know like i don't want to say trad but like the very um mm, the ostentatious very performative elements of catholic worship and art and the doctrine too and the theology and this kind of decadent camp um even diabolical kind of strain in our culture. I, it's hard to find people who understand that connection. Like most people, I don't know, at least, I mean, you, your experience is different, but like most of the trads I know are like too scandalized by anything that's not, you know, super approved by the catechism, you know, nihil uh, obstat imprimatur kind of stuff. But like, if you have a good head on your shoulders, you can recognize that, yeah, there are parallels here. There's a, there's a common sensibility that we should be talking about. And that's what I'm trying to bridge with like the people that I bring on and the stuff I post. And like, you're doing something similar, I think with the trad wave and the wafer kind of stuff, All right? Yeah. And, you know, I think there is a, like, I get, why a lot of trads are very puritanical and making sure they basically what's the word uh they're basically trying to just like um proofread and make sure that you know oh this this guy um check has all, everything checked off with the church because mm-hmm. you know there's just so much scandal going around that they, they want to preserve themselves which i totally get and i i kind of do myself without even realizing it but then you got to get to this point of like okay like do it do that however you want i don't care but once you get past that you know that this this person's bumper bars are set and the bumper bars are the teachings of the church explicitly um and let them frolic through those fields now like the fence is set up mm-hmm. you know that just let them go let it, as long as they're staying in bounds of that church um of, of you know her yard <laughs> let the kid play outside let them do some weird stuff on the playground. You know, some of them want to dig a hole. Some of them want to play tags. Some of them want to do this. Some of them want to stay inside and play video games instead, but you're still staying in this fence. And, and I think, you know, the, 
the trad look of this puritanical, we've got to make sure everybody checks off before they, you know, they, they arrive in. It's either here and there. I think they just need to get over it once that evaluation's done and just be like, okay, you know, because they, they do have to protect their, their place because to them, and kind of in reality, no one, nowhere else is like this and nowhere else is safe. So I, I feel like I totally get that. But now I think we just got to like ease up once you once you once you get accepted in, once you enter that fence, unless you're doing something explicitly wrong, <laughs> like explicitly. Yeah, uh, let's, you know, but that's for the that's for the parents to say we're all kids here just hanging out in the yard. Um, and that's like yeah. this is why I think Tradwave is so interesting, though, because like you have this kind of trad imagery and the prayer and the whatever the concepts but you're using these like very hip aesthetic kind of elements and like why are more trads not oh like we have such a strong aesthetic sensibility why aren't we using it to its full potential why aren't we branching out um in 26 in the mud like i told you yeah like when i wrote this thing about latin mass and like aspergians and queers and whatnot like so, I mean, there was a handful of people who got it and were like, oh, yeah, like I see it. But so many people were scandalized, both like the libs were like, oh, my God, this is like Latin mass is so exclusionary and archaic. And then you had um, the trads were like, oh, my God, sodomites, mentally ill people. This is blasphemous. It's like, no, like if you actually look at who's going to Latin mass, like that's who's there a couple other people like look at reality open your eyes uh, yeah, it's great though um <laughs> yeah the church wants freaks and weirdos yeah as oscar wilde said the catholic church is for saints and sinners alone for respectable people the anglican church will do we love our trap <laughs> Anglicans, though, or uh, Anglo-Catholics. They're good, but. Yes. <laughs> no, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're just, the epitome of it all. You got it. We're just a bunch of, we're like those weird kids at recess that you want to play with. Yeah, exactly. No one wants them. Yeah, but they always, have the, they always have the most interesting things going on. Yeah. Um, you know. So but the yeah. other thing I was going to say, though, is like we were talking about different forms of art that in incorporate certain demonic elements, whether like explicitly from like satanic kind of rituals or just like, you know, whatever the vibe. <laughs> but for me, I don't know, like I had a big conflict when I realized as a kid I was into a lot of pop culture, especially music that was incorporating these elements of like you know dark magic satanism whatever and i was like oh my god i'm gonna go to hell this is horrible and yeah like if you're taking it all in if you're consuming it uncritically and without thinking that's problematic and you're probably going to be influenced by these things but when you really can think logically about it you can say like some of this art is objectively beautiful objectively well done and yeah, like it's not glorifying the truth. It's not glorifying true beauty, but in, as a form of art, like there is something true here. Uh, 
a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their heads around this, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. And, you know, it's the thing that I'm thinking about right now is the, the same people that will knock off like a lot of the art today. Um, they're probably the ones that are listening to dad 70s rock, which is all mm -hmm. about sex and drugs. Mm -hmm. And then the same people that were knocking that off back then, the same ones that are listening to like, you know, the uh, perverse duality language of the 50s and 40s, Cole Porter music, or even the, and then the people that were knocking that off are the same people that were knocking off the blues, thinking it was satanic. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there are connotations and such, and just like art can still be, um, I don't wanna use that word. Art can still be objectively good. It just doesn't have to point to the right things. But, you know, now that we're just such in it, we're in a period right now where everything, it, it, it's just not an idea of like, you know, in the sixties when you got like somebody like the stones making sympathy for the devil, they know that's like bad stuff and they're toying yeah. with that. They're having fun with it by knowing it's not good. Um, but now it's like, I think we're getting out of this whole relativism hole that Benedict was, you know, rightfully so condemning the whole time. I think we're moving into a new age now where evil's good and good is evil um yeah. explicitly you know it started with good is good evil is evil and we can play around with this yeah. but we know that's good is good and evil is evil then it was like okay now we're hitting the gray areas you know like later in the millennium and then now things are just like whatever you think it is it, it could be it could not we don't really know and then now it's just like no straight up like evil's good like that's where we're at now like the pendulum swung so far away so now it's like I can't, I don't even want to say anymore that this art is, you know, objectively good because I just like, like our society is just so crumbled around us that I just, we, we can't even figure that one out yet. We, you know, so. The trajectory of Puritanism though, because Puritanism obliterates that tension between mm -hmm. good and evil. It wants to eliminate evil rather than integrate it into the good. So then all we can do with that impulse towards evil is call it good. Whereas, like, I don't know, true art always allows space for that tension while, you know, acknowledging what is what. Um, yeah. Like, and it, I, I think what annoys me, though, is that these people who are, you know, holy rollers are so afraid of um, acknowledging that art is this kind of creative space that, I mean, I don't want to say it's amoral, but there is, like, we recognize that art is art. It's not necessarily reality. And there needs to be some room for the for us to play around, for us to experiment. Again, it's the anti-structure. If we don't have space of anti-structure, then either we're going to become prudes who are boring and no fun, or we're going to call evil good. Nobody yeah. wants. I mean, none of those are really fulfilling at the end of the day. Yeah, it's um, you know, we. I mean, there was a good essay Tolkien wrote way back in the day that people forget about on fairy stories and mm -hmm. we're the sub-creators. So obviously art comes from the sub-creations. It's coming from the creator directly because we're imitating him um, and we're just sub-creating in a way. So you can't escape that fact. However, like we, the, he gives us free will. Yeah. 
And there is no, like, if we're going back to this yard connotation, the puritanical senses, yeah, you can stay in the yard. You just, you're only allowed to go on the swings. That's it. So you, sw- you, you can have great stuff from the swings, mm-hmm. but then when you swing in, you know, even my six-year-old niece, when she's swinging for 10 minutes, she's done. You want yeah. to try out the sandbox and this stuff. And then, whoa, what can we dig up in the sandbox? Good gracious. And you just need to explore, but you still got to stay in the boundaries of the yard. Um, I think yeah. I was going there, but I like this yard thing that I just created. I, I know, know it's very useful. That one, huh? yeah. <laughs> it's the Rugrats in me there. Yeah. The old Rugrats. Not Classic this Nickelodeon. Yeah. yeah. No, and this is why like, I'm very big on camp because it's all about exalting artifice. But you're calling it artificial, like you're passing, you're saying like the whole idea that it's so bad that it's good, but you still know it's bad. So like, right. I think this is the genius of it. Um, I don't know. What are some, we were talking before, like what are some of the examples of like either movies or music or whatever that you think like, yeah, are objectively demonic, but also are quality art? Well, pretty much anything a24 is doing which i predicted when spring breakers came out that it was going to be the biggest distributor i mean just looking at the horror genre in general a quick a quick pendulum swing i mean you start with monster movies we all know those are evil and they're portrayed as evil they have this grotesque thing to them yeah so evil is evil explicitly then we have evil is evil but implicitly you got the serial killers you got the psychos Mm -hmm. like we know that's bad but it's implicit. They're charming. They're not, you know. Yeah. Then we get into the gray area. Of like, well, now we have the anti-heroes. Like, you know, you've got, you can start with Alex DeLarge or like Walter White in the, you know, the 2000s. Like, you know, there are protagonists just because they're driving the narrative, but they're still evil. But we're now like hitting this gray area because we're so sympathetic towards them. And it's getting a little sketchy, you know. And then now it's like, okay, everything the evil is the thing that is being the most beautifully personified and it's having the most sympathetic route and it's just now it's good like the witch you know the whole puritanical um nature of the film like the family leaves the pure a puritanical cult and they start their own thing so already we're setting off on the idea of like Christianity is bad. You just get worse and worse and crazier and crazier. And then the whole time you're thinking, hmm, I don't know if there's a witch or not. I really, I think that's the game they're playing. Yeah. But then at the end, you're like, oh shit, they're not playing the relativism game. It's, it's real. The witch is real. Yeah. And you have your protagonist leaving Christianity, essentially, and joining the cult. And only when she joins the witches do you have the most beautiful shot, the most beautiful embracing mm. moment of the film is beautiful. But it's literally saying, great, she's now going to be a witch and this is she's embracing it. Same thing with Midsommar at the end. She's embracing being in this cult. She's smiling with the beautiful flowers as she's mm. burning alive her boyfriend named <laughs> Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Suspiria, the worst part. I love Suspiria, the new one. I love it, but it's so demonic. At the very end, the greatest shot is when Dakota Johnson comes down. She's shown to be the witch of Mother Suspiriorium, and she opens up her chest to reveal a heart in this beautiful 
beautiful slow moving shot with Tom York's piano ballad playing in the background where all these naked chicks are just screaming their heads off. And it's the perfect inversion of our blessed mother. And I hate that so much, but it's so beautiful. I can't look away. It's like, gosh, evil is just evil to them now. Or evil is just good to them now. And it's honestly scaring me because we're just in this aesthetic warfare that we have got to combat because we, we got to swing that pendulum back man it's freaking me out yeah and people who have dabbled in the occult know that it's not anything glamorous or i don't want to say glamorous but it's not anything benevolent or benign um it's dangerous but it's it's real and it has um it does have aesthetic value but it's a dangerous one it's a destructive one yeah. um and like this is my whole thing with the pop stars, the mainstream singers that I think it was starting with Madonna that she started using these demonic kind of uh, and blasphemous motifs in her songs and her videos and her performances. Um, It's incredibly well produced, like really beautiful, but objectively demonic. And you see like all these pop stars following her. Um, Yeah, like it continues, but there's something genuinely attractive there and like my the one that i am really fixated on now and that i talk about a lot on here is bad bunny the puerto rican rapper Mm -hmm. reggaeton whatever because like his photo shoots are insanely demonic like he has the like the one eye and the, the pyramid and all the masonic shit but when you look closely when you listen closely you see what he's doing he's saying like He's torn between these kind of existential extremes. One is extreme indulgence, distraction from reality. Like, I just want to get lit and do these like crazy sex positions. The others are like moments of real um, feeling lost spiritually, not knowing who I am and feeling very sad about it and not wanting to be lost anymore. And I'm like, yeah, like this is kind of fucked up, but it's also it speaks truth to the human condition that like we can get caught in these diabolical like inversions of the truth and yet it doesn't fulfill and yet there's still this yearning for the truth when i think what you're saying like when we paint it as if you know being a witch is like it's woke and it's liberating and it's cool like no let being a witch be being a witch like it is what it is yeah yeah. And I think that's why like this traditional movement in the church is so important and so strong right now is because clearly as we just become witness to this ourselves and everybody else, this aesthetic is a powerful tool. Aesthetic yeah. to a lot of people is everything, especially mm-hmm. to trads. Aesthetic is everything. Like sometimes I have to remind them like, you go to heaven, the Lord's not going to ask you what mass you went to, right? I mean, yeah. yes, you're going to get abundantly more graces going to the to Latin mass. I'm sorry, you will. Yeah. And it's because the aesthetic, the reverence is there. Um, but so it, to me, it's just like, that's such an important key to people. And it's such an important to people that aren't Catholic or don't practice it at all. And they don't know that there's this aesthetic beauty Mm-hmm. that's the thing you don't know there's this thing because everybody wants to steal from us constantly especially when you especially with horror especially with exorcism especially with ritual 
That's why they go to the Eastern religions yep. right off the bat because they're so bored of the puritanical wasp culture here. Well, throw mm -hmm. the fucking wasp culture away because it's boring as hell. It okay. literally is, you know? So I, I think, you know, being part of this like traditional movement, we'll call it whatever you want. I think it's very important because for a lot of people that don't know that there is this aesthetic beauty to it, that could just be the little push they need to get down to the nitty gritty of what it's really about. You know, yeah. it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be the only thing, but that's the little, you know, that's Shinji. Enter your room, cross the threshold. Um, yeah. And like so. this, was, um, this was Von Balthazar's whole thing that like the entryway to the transcendentals is beauty. It is aesthetics, but it is not, um, it's not the ultimate source of salvation. Like, and this is why I think trads have to be careful because like, yeah, like sure, Latin mass full of graces and beauty, but that doesn't substitute an actual relationship with the truth, with God. It's an entryway. It's a means to, but it's secondary ultimately. So like, we don't want to create an idol, like, cause then otherwise we fall into aestheticism, which is pagan. Like this is what yeah. pagans did. They exalted the beauty of the body and the pleasure and all that, but it's not enough to save you. Like you need something beyond like what does the beauty point to if we don't take that step but i do think yeah the entryway has to be beauty it has to be aesthetic yeah. and it's and it's the simplest catholic theology of statues it's it's what it is there like we're not worshiping that statue we're worshiping what it's pointing to some people um, do well yeah some people do yeah uh, kind of fun. Time, but, <laughs> but you know like the mass uh, I appreciate everything that they're doing because they, they want to remind everybody, they really just want everybody to understand that, look, there is this beauty beyond imagination that you can have here. Take it or leave it. Like, I just, I think they just really just want everybody to know that. And so many people don't know that at all. Um, and I think it, it really, I know so many people that this lives can change about it. It's not for everybody. Yeah. But I think we also, they also like the actual real end goal is just to get that aesthetic beauty everywhere in the church again that cultural like zenith that we're all looking at we shouldn't go back there like never never land but we should try to incorporate that traditional cultural beauty of being catholic in every facet of our being because why not and i think that is such a powerful even um evangelical not evangelical powerful evangel evangelizing there we go third time's a charm um tool for people because they don't know that we've got this cool ass aesthetic bro you know give me that uh give me that aesthetic that's what people want and catholicism's got it because it's coming from the creator so um can we take a break you want a cigarette right i have to pee first <laughs>